0: Blessed we are to have a great worship team on a day like today when we, we we're trying to sing through the mask and they are just rocking it with praise to God. Love that new song. We've waited for this moment. And we're so thankful you're here, thankful for those of you online, so thankful all of you are, are here and are we're a little bit scattered today. Could y'all stand up and move forward? <laughs> I I don't think that would go across very well, but we are thankful you're here. I want to thank very specially all the children. And and I look out here, and I see kids still wearing that mask, and that is uh, rather impressive. And uh, we want you to know we're glad you're in here, and uh, we're not going to be too uptight about how you guys behave. Shouldn't have said that, should I? But glad that you are in our service this morning. Our, Our theme today is the perfect theme for today, which is break out of Isolation. You see, isolation is dangerous. We know that. There's all kinds of studies on isolation. One of my favorite was a book that came out a few years ago called Bowling Alone, and where they talked about how decades ago, most Americans bowled in a league and on a team, and now, decades later, we bowl alone. Another study says that um, today, 40% of Americans feel lonely. Years ago two decades ago, it was just 20%. Despite all of our connections, we seem to be less connected. Now here's the point though, it's dangerous. We know that health issues are worse when you don't have people close to you. We know mental struggles, whether it's anxiety or depression or you name it, when you're not around people, it gets worse. And just think, on top of those statistics and studies that happened before the coronavirus, just think about what's happening on with the isolation that we have today. We call it social distancing. One expert said this very tactic that health experts are using to save lives, social distancing, may be increasing the suicide rate for others. Actually, here's why I'd rather call it today. I'd rather call it physical distancing than social distancing. Because even when we have to be six feet apart, we still have lots of ways to communicate, and hopefully we will do that today. So we're in the middle of a study of Elijah. We, we don't have to look at some psychological studies to prove it. We understand this in the life of Elijah, how dangerous this was. And, and this is not you know, just somebody. This is a great prophet of God. He's called to be a prophet of God. God gives him a pretty tough message is to go back to the king and queen and say, we're gonna have a drought for three years. That wasn't a popular message. So he runs and hides, he finally shows up on Mount Carmel where he faces down the prophets of Baal in an amazing, dramatic victory. The rain starts, you think everything would be okay. And he runs ahead of Ahab and gets there to Queen Jezebel and she is still mad and she vows to kill him and he's on the run again. He leaves the only person around him, his servant behind him. He actually runs 200 miles into the desert. He's all alone. He thinks it's over and he wants it to be over. God calls him to go a little bit further. And God calls him to to climb Mount Sinai. I've been there before. We got up about 1.30 in the morning so we could be there at sunrise. It's a long track up there, especially if you're all by yourself. And he's all by himself. And God shows up and begins to change things. And we saw this last week, that God worked to unstick Elijah. And we saw all these different ways. Physically, he gave him food. He gave him rest. Mentally, he let him verbalize his feelings. Emotionally, God's there with him. And spiritually, God speaks to him. God even clears up some of his false beliefs. So God's done a lot. And maybe today you feel stuck. And all these things on this list are really important. But we've got to add one more. And that's that you need to be unstuck relationally. The next thing God does in Elijah's life after all of this is not quite enough. Even the presence of God was not quite enough without there being some people involved in Elijah's life. So let's take up our story. 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's go to verse 15. And let's start watching what happens here. The Lord came to Elijah. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anointing. Haziel, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shapheth, and from Abel, Mala. I'm good pronouncing these things, aren't I? You can laugh through your mask; it's okay. To succeed you as prophet. Now here's what here's what's going on here. He's giving Elijah these people to have his back. Listen. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. We got your back. We know you're afraid, but there are people that love you. And he reminds him, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All those knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah decided there was only one person left faithful to God. Bad counter. God says there's 7,000. You know, it's like me. I think there's 2,000 here right now, okay? I mean, God says, you're getting it wrong, guys. There's a lot of folks who share your faith. And then he gives him, he gives him this friend. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. You think, that's weird. No, that's, that's very significant. You, you see, it was your cloak that was your most important part of your garments. It protected you from the weather. It was your bedding. It was what you, how you carried your luggage. And to put it around someone was a pledge that you're going to be my successor. And so God has given Elijah Someone to pour into and someone to mentor. So he threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned, catch this, the plowing equipment. He, he, he's burning his way of living. It's a complete break. And then he takes the plowing equipment, cooks the meat, gives it to the people, and they ate. So he has this big party, leaves his living behind, breaks loose, set out to follow Elijah, and became his servant. Now, I want you to see very quickly here what God gave Elijah. First of all, he gave him a community. Have you ever felt like you're the only one left standing? In America today, it's really easy to feel like, you know what, who still believes anymore? Who really trusts what the Bible says? Who's really following Jesus? And that's one reason it's so important for us to have a Christian community and for us to meet somewhere like this and look across and go, you know what, here are the people. Here are my people. We agree on values. We may not agree on every little bit of politics today, but we agree on the values that really count. God knew we needed people. We need community. Man, I'm so fired up about us still being able to to broadcast our our, our services online. That's awesome. But we know in the long run, that's not completely church. Because the word church itself is a gathering. God doesn't want you just to meet. In fact, let me say this. Just come into a building once a week and meet with folks. That's not church either. Church is a community. It's people who've got your back. It's people who are there to help you. It's the folks you can call in the middle of the night when you've got a problem. God wanted Elijah to have that. He wants you to have that. And then he gave Elijah some colleagues. I mean, some of these guys, Elijah doesn't become so close to Jehu. But they were his colleagues in, their, in his work. Elijah had gotten too used to doing everything by himself. And God says, you know, sometimes that may feel more efficient. If any of you are driven, sometimes it, it, it feels easier to do it by yourself in some ways. But in the long run, you burn out. And God said, Elijah, you need some help. Let me give you some people around you. Let me give you a team. That's one thing I love about the team I get to work with here in this church. And I, I hope you've recognized how organized things are today. How organized things are for tonight. The great job that's done online by our tech people. I'm telling you, it's a team effort. And I'm just so thankful to get to hang out with these guys because it's working with people side by side often that makes you more and more close. And then finally, he gives him a confidant. He gives him Elisha. He gives him someone who knows him, someone he can pour his life into. You see, God says, Not only am I going to be there for you, but I'm going to give you somebody with flesh on, Elijah, so you will never feel alone again. Guys, I'm very convinced that too many of us in our culture, despite a thousand ways to connect, we still feel lonely. In fact, one of the most dangerous places to feel lonely is in a crowd. And you know that's possible. And God wants so much more than that for us. He, he wants you to have what I would call real friends. He wants you to have people that actually care about you, who know you. This, this really hit me recently. I've met with two different young men in our church. And at the end of the conversation, I just said something normally I say. And I just said, uh, how are you doing? How, how, how are you really doing? And I guess what really surprised me is both of them were taken back by the question. One said, you're the first person to ask me that in two months. The other said, I don't have anybody in my life who ever asked me actually how I'm doing. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back as much as to say, you know what surprises me? And you would know these guys. If I named them, you would think, how in the world could that be true? And yet in our culture, we're in such a hurry. We keep things so superficial. Sometimes we, we're comfortable talking about ourselves and not asking questions. And we need that person who goes, okay, can we stop a minute? I know you're going nine nothing. I know you've got a great career. I know your family looks great. I know everything on the outside looks really great with you right now. But how are you really doing? That's what God gave Elijah. And that's what God wants to give us. This, this morning is Father's Day. And I want to show you a video of an interview I did with a sister here who shares about her father. And, uh, man, i tell you what, if you've got a great father, you, got, you, you are very, very blessed. And she had a great father. But beyond just a great father, in light of what we talked about with Elijah, her father was also not just the, that community, but that colleague. You'll find out about that, that in that confidant. Please watch this and, and be inspired. In light of what we're talking about today with Elijah, and it being Father's Day, uh, God brought to my mind uh, Day, one of my very, very favorite people. And I'm just so thrilled that she's willing to join us today. Her father passed away two weeks ago yesterday, so uh, I was really honestly surprised that she would agree to do this, but we're going to be so blessed to hear about her relationship with her father, that was not only a great father-daughter relationship, but also scanned some of the very things that God provided Elijah. So, Uduak, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Tell us about the legacy of your father.
1: Well, thank you, buddy. Thank you for for the opportunity, not only Our church family knows that it's it's hard to say no when you ask us to do something, and yeah, yeah, you know. (laughs) But but also that I think this is this is an opportunity to honor honor my dad's memory, and I really appreciate your asking me to do this. But but you asked me about legacy. Um, My dad left behind for us the legacy of faith more than anything else and spirituality. I've shared with friends before that he was the first set of people to be converted to Christianity when the American missionaries came to Nigeria. And his faith was extremely important to him. Um, I was thinking about this last night and remember, I was, I was trying to remember what would be a good example of his faith and the story of when he was kidnapped came to my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and before he was kidnapped, there were attempts to kidnap him. And he has three children in the States. We all begged him to come over. Just to get away, there was a lot going on in Nigeria at the time. But daddy would say, if the God that I serve wants me to be kidnapped, it will happen. I'm not running away from home. And so, so two foiled attempts and then the third attempt, he, he was. He was kidnapped and he was held, and we all know that, for about 12 days. But one of the things, one of the days in which the kidnappers talked to us, because they held him for ransom, that they, my sister says, we're not going to engage with you guys until we know daddy's okay. And they say, you know, they, they get belligerent and then they're like, there's nothing happening. He's sitting right here preaching to all of us. And when they kept quiet and we could hear Dad in the background preaching to these people who held him in captive. He came out and said, I knew that if God allowed it to happen, God would release me from them because that's not how I was going to die. Wow. So he left, I think, big shoes for us as his children to fill, to carry on that faith.
0: Can you just tell me, just make a list of some of the things he established.
1: Okay, so when he came here, went to Fried Hardeman, David Lipscomb, and then went back to Nigeria, he was principal of a school. And then American missionaries came to visit churches that had been planted in Nigeria, and Daddy was asked to take them around. They noticed that most of those churches had died because preachers weren't there to, to continue the work. So Daddy said at the end of that, he decided there's a need to train preachers. So he was working as a principal and one day a week he would finish work at about 4.30 and he would drive three hours to different communities and train preachers in the churches. That eventually led to him resigning from the um, retiring from government early and started a school of preaching. So he started a school of preaching, trained preachers, and then the government came, saw the school and said, this is, the property is too big to be a school of preaching. Why don't you make it a Christian school? So then he started, it grew into a Christian school, a Christian high school from seventh grade to twelfth grade. That's how our high schools run in Nigeria. Had a school of preaching, had that. Many years later, the state university asked, could we affiliate with this and make this a campus of a two-year college? So it grew into a two-year college, and um, now it has a hospital on the premises of the school. And, um, and, and he was working, my brother, and he are work, we're working on starting a Christian university in the state at the time
0: of his passing. What an absolute legacy. Well, let's get to the maybe tougher question. Tell me what he was like as a father.
1: You know, I I think those of us who've been blessed to have godly fathers, we we would definitely say our fathers were great. I think um, one of the things that stand out to me the most was that he was the kind of father that was very strict. But that father that would discipline you with one hand and then pull you back with the other Mm -hmm. hand. And he knew how to discipline all of us differently. He knew, and this may come as a surprise to to you, buddy, but he knew that I cried very easily. Really? So I didn't get whooped as much as my siblings did, you know? But But he knew. (laughs) So I didn't because I would feel, all daddy wanted was remorse. But I have sisters who would not, you know, say, I'm sorry because they didn't know why they had to be sorry for something. And they got whooped a lot. So he was the kind of father that he knew how to tailor discipline to the child and what the child needed. Um, It was important to him as a preacher not just to preach, and he would say this a lot, I don't want to preach and save souls outside bless you, save souls outside but lose my family so we had morning devotions every morning, 5.30 in the morning you know, come rain or shine, he would gather all of us around the table and teach us the word, Bible from cover to cover every day, did that with his grandchildren, ensured that in all of our homes, and there's six of us and he would ask from the very beginning, are you people having devotion? Yes, Dad, we're having devotion every night with your grandkids,
0: you know? So, it, yeah. Well, let let me ask this. Hopefully your siblings aren't watching. <laughs> but um, what was his nickname for you and what did it mean?
1: Oh, my dad, and I had this from the time I was little, but he would call me Adoite. And it wasn't just him. Everybody knew that Uduak was Adoite. And in my language, adoyte means she who is as close to the father as a wife. (laughs) And that's it. I've had my sisters call to say, hey, I'm worried about you. And I'm like, why? They said, you were adoyte. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I was. Because um, there were times when if I wanted my dad, he would show up. When I was married, I got sick. I remember three months into my marriage, I had asthma. And I'm waking up, and it's really hurting. I tell Peter, my dad's going to come. And there were no cell phones. I've been married 20, 80 years. There were no cell phones in Nigeria at the time. And he thought I was crazy. And around three, four o'clock, my dad shows up. And as soon as he saw me, he was like, I knew my daughter was sick. I'm like, I know, you know. But that was the kind of relationship we had. I would need him in the States and the phone would ring. I'm like, hey, dad. He's like, you know. So... He didn't have favorites.
0: <clears throat> <laughs> <But laughs> wasn't nice keep, keep telling yourself that. Well, that is I mean I love to hear you talk about this and not your father, and I could I could listen all day. But but what's unique about this and what ties into the story of Elijah is that two of the things that God provided Elijah was colleagues and a confidant. And I think you can tell us a little bit that your dad also played those roles with you. He did.
1: As a colleague, what stands out is that he started a Christian school in a neighboring state. So we're from a a southeastern state in Nigeria called Akwa Ibom State. And when Peter and I got married, we moved to a neighboring state like maybe Alabama and Georgia. And so we grew up in that state. And when we got married and went over to that state and in the other state, daddy had started a Christian school. When we went to this state, there was no Christian high school. And in Nigeria, high schools run from 7th grade to 12th. So there wasn't any. Our kids went to a Christian nursery primary school. But when Salem was ready for for high school, we really wanted her to go to a Christian school. And Daddy said, well, y'all could send her to the next state and she could live in the dorm and go to school. But Peter and I said, no, we could start a school in Cross River State. And so we started a school. And in that way, Dad and I were colleagues because we were both... Christian school proprietors and we we, we we gleaned and learned from him, we piggybacked on some of the things he had put in place for his school and we kind of did it and it was when you have an entrance exam in our school, the Nigerian Christian um, uh, Christian Science College if you passed you could go to the C- C- Nigerian Christian Institute which was his school you know across the street, um, across the, the next state but, but in that way we wor- worked as colleagues and I think as a confidant One of the reasons dad and I were really, really close was that I could honestly say we didn't have any secrets. Um, There was a trust that was built between us that I felt as if no matter what I was going through, I could talk to my dad about it. Every time the time I was seven, eight years old, we talked to dad. And this was a time in Nigeria where there were things you just don't talk about but dad was the first person not mom that was the first person who talked to us about boys talked to us about marriage talked to us about being submissive to our husbands you know and so so i could confide in him with even my biggest fears with things that happen here in the in the u.s and i think that's what i miss the most i'm going to miss the most is not being able to say okay dad this is how i feel about this and be really angry and listen to him say hey this is it in the God's
0: word, or this is the Christian perspective on it. Wow! You know. Uduak, you um, and your family mean so much to the Lamar family, and this has been a just a special blessing on, on this Father's Day it, to hear about your father. What what an amazing man, and what what a great legacy! And you know, I, I think we all can see how what an impact he had on you, and how similar you are. So. Thank you for blessing us, always, but in a very special way Thank today. You. Thank you. Isn't that ins- inspirational? Guys, give a hand to Udwok for sharing with us. You know, uh, Udwok has been such a powerful force in our church. And, and that's, uh, I had to write something about her once, and that, those are the words I chose. It's just that she is just, she's just a force, But this morning, we understand more why. Because she had someone who demonstrated, modeled it, poured into her. And guys, that's what God wants for all of us. Whether it comes from a father or for a brother or a sister in Christ, someone who's going to connect with you in such a way that your life is different. There's a psychologist who wrote lately, when we connect, we survive. There's one study of people 50 years old in Great Britain that if they had good friendships, their death rate over the next decade was 25% less. So we do survive. I think God would also say, when we connect, we thrive. You're never going to be everything you ought to be. I'm never going to be everything I ought to be unless I'm in relationships where people really know how I'm doing and encourage me and help me and challenge me. And that's why it's so important for us to be together. We come now to this time of communion. I hope you you have uh, your bread and juice. And uh, we're going to take. And I just want you to, to think about the word communion. And associated words, common. We celebrate what's in common. The word communicate. This is our time to communicate with God. This is our time to celebrate all the things that bring us in. Here's another word this community. So communion is meant to connect us to God and to connect us with each other. And so today as you commune, I want you to, to think about God and thank God, but I also want you to think about the people in this church family that you miss so much and love so much. Let's pray together. God, we're so thankful that you created us, Lord, and you knew that we were made. Uh, to be in relationships, first of all and foremost with you, but also with people. And Lord, this is the moment in our service that we celebrate, that we have a relationship with you, not by our own goodness, but by the sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ and his grace. And that because he has loved us so, we know how to love each other. So God help us to celebrate those things right now as we spend this time of communion in community. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, if you feel stuck, I hope you've learned with me one more step, one of the most important steps to becoming unstuck. I know a lot of us feel stuck spiritually. We feel stuck emotionally. We feel stuck in what's going on in our culture right now. And today we learned a simple step is we need people. And yet here's what's so difficult about this. Is the moment I feel down and I feel stuck is the moment I normally choose to not be around people. The, the very thing that I need the most, which is to connect with someone in a meaningful way, is the thing I find myself isolating myself even more from. And so today I want to challenge some of you who may feel stuck to, to be willing to push yourself. Because, guys, this is not easy. You know, for, for uh, Elisha to have that relationship with Elijah... It took a major commitment. He had to make a break with his past. And for you and I, it's not just going to happen. It's hard to build. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 says that we need to make, listen Listen closely, every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. What's you saying? It can take some work. Let me, let me say something I'm seeing very clearly. Division is natural. Unity is supernatural. You understand that? I mean, you watching our world today, in our country today, division is natural. The natural man is can go in that case. That's why, my friends, I believe that Jesus is the only hope for our nation. Because Jesus is the only one who can pull us together. Who teaches us how to reconcile and how to forgive and how to love each other, despite our differences. And guys, here's where the onus is on us. Not only is Jesus the only way, but Jesus has made his church, his body, the instrument of reconciliation. But let me say this to you and to me. This is not going to be easy. It would be much easier for us to get mad at each other about little nicky nacky things than to actually work toward unity. For, for instance, I've, I've, really, I've really felt sorry for the shepherds of this church the last few weeks, ever since the they came out with what we got to do to meet, and thank you for being willing to do that. This is a tough decision. They're, they're listening to medical advice. You know, they're listening to, you know, government officials is, if you're going to meet, what should you do? Well, six-foot distancing is a must. You're going to have to wear a mask? Well, yeah, that, that, that's the best way, especially when people are singing. Singing's worse than speaking. And so they've got to come up with this decision. And yet in the culture we live in, We almost feel like it's our right to take pot shots. I've heard three or four people say, I've never had to sign up for church in my life. I'm never gonna sign up now. Okay, really? This is different than any other time in your life. You think we really want people to have to sign up for church? You think that's our druthers? No, but if we're gonna maintain social distancing, there's only so many people we can put in this room. So here's what I'm saying, guys. I'm not trying to jump on anybody, but say is, We've all got to learn to give each other a break. Guys, listen. In our city, in our culture, we might divide over this. This is the source of major tension and division. Can you believe that? Because here's the exciting part. We're not those people. We could even disagree about this little device. But we're not the people that are going to pitch a fit because I might not get my way because we got something bigger. We love each other. We love God. And so we've been taught that what we do is we bend over backwards to serve each other. You know, you see, because here's where our shepherds were. The last thing that we would ever want to have happen here is someone to come to church here and catch this virus. And church has been a big place for it so I would hope we're all understanding on you know, anything that they might ask of us to be able to do it. And I thank you guys because you've done it so beautifully today. Because here's what I'm seeing is division is so natural. And in the political atmosphere we live in right now, it's, it's just pervasive. I don't care where you stand. But here's what we've got to guard. It better not happen here. I mean, this is the place where those rules don't apply. This is the place where we're treating each other like Jesus is what actually is to happen. And we can do that. And when we build that kind of community, led by the Spirit, not by the flesh, then we've got a community to invite people to. Because people are getting hurt out there. And here's the place we don't do that. So I'm, I'm going to give you one takeaway today. Just one thing to do in light of what we talked about. This is so simple, but I think this could be so powerful. I want to challenge you to walk away from this place and ask and answer that simple question. How are you doing? If I could go ahead and add one more word to it. How are you really doing? Because what I found is some people on the outside look like they have it so together, but if you really took the time to ask what's going on, on the inside they're hurting and especially in what we're living through right now and, and maybe you know you can't go sit across the table from somebody but my goodness we've got so many devices to connect with each other we've got so many ways to say you know you know, I've been thinking about you and, and i just, I just like to ask you how are you really doing and I'm not just asking that to ask because so often we ask it and we answer and we're not paying attention I, I really want to hear and guys, so not only can we help each other through this, but we actually could build deeper relationships that would honor God because they're so different from the superficiality and the division of the world. So we'll close out this morning. I want to ask you today, how are you really doing? I know for so many of us in here, extroverts, some of you have been quarantined, some of your schedule, your work has been completely disrupted. Some of you, has just played with your mind. This has been a tough time. and, and, and the, Despite the fact everything looks good on the outside, you're not doing that hot. So here's what I want to ask. I want to pray for you before you walk out of here. If you are struggling right now, if you're struggling through this time, would you just stand right now so I can know who I need to pray for? Just stand up. It's a difficult time in your life. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's okay just to be honest in this place. I wish we could have this front row open and hugging on you. wish we could lay hands on you guys. Anybody else right now? I want to be honest enough just to stand up and say, this has been a tough time for me. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this place of refuge. God, that we get to come. And Lord, this has been tough on so many of us. Because we just didn't anticipate this lasting so long, and then you throw in all the other tensions of culture today, and it's extremely discouraging. And in both services today, a lot of folks have stood. And I just pray right now, God, that that you would break through this. I pray that we'll care enough to ask the people around us how they're really doing, and to listen. It's amazing, Father, that happens so few times in our world. God, thank you for our body. I thank you for those that are watching online and those that are here. And, Father, of the kind of community that you have equipped us and empowered us to be. And, Lord, I just want to pray in the power of your Holy Spirit that you will protect us from divisiveness. And that we will be the people who love each other when in the world we had erode each other off. Thank you for that, Lord. God, we know your son Jesus said when we start loving each other that way, people will know that he is God and that we are his people. So give us this chance in this really crazy time in history to demonstrate love and community. I pray for everybody in this room today that they're going to have at least that one person that really knows what's going on and cares, and prays with them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you. Be seated. We're going to close out uh, with one more prayer. Our shepherds have called us to a season of prayer for reconciliation. You know, Paul says God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so last week, our challenge was to pray for reconciliation to happen in our church. And this week, our challenge is to pray for reconciliation to happen in our city. And I've last asked... um, Good friend Sam Youse, one of our newer members, if he would come up and he would uh, lead us in a prayer. And after this prayer, we're going to sing a song about how great God is right in the midst of everything that's going on. Thank you so much for being with us. Sam?
2: First, I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are in here. This is our day, and we get to do what we want as soon as we get home, okay? It would be very remiss of me not to to come up here and pray for a race reconciliation and not to acknowledge a great and special day that just passed this Friday. It was July June the nineteenth, um, also known as Juneteenth. In eighteen sixty five, a general General Gordon Granger followed a federal followed a federal my um, gosh, it's, it's losing me. Uh, command, as I would say, to free the slaves in our nation. Um, President Abraham Lincoln two years earlier had signed the Emancipation of Proclamation and it took another two years for General Gordon to get down and, and pass the message on of freeing the slaves in Texas, in the state of Texas. However he did it and I'm so grateful for that. That showed a step going forward for our nation and we got to keep going forward before them. But I want to go a little further in front of that Um, A long time ago, it was this great being, uh, God, our Father. Happy Father's Day to him as well. He created mankind. And so when he created mankind, he he created them in the image of him and in his likeness. And so at that point, we all became one. And at that point, we all had something in common that a lot of us don't really look at now. However, he also knew that there were going to be differences such as your thumbprint, such as um, the strands of your hair, your DNA, your skin color, your gender, all of these different things, but he still had a major vision. That vision was to love each other as he loved us and also to serve him. So now we have a moment. Just Just think of it like this. There was A lot of people that were living yesterday are not living right now. So what that does, it highlights the preciousness of moments. And right now we have a moment to say, you know what, we're going to think more of other people than ourselves and try to take another step forward into getting back to that vision that God really wanted us to have. So if you would, please pray with me. Dear God, we come to you as humbly as we know how today, just thanking you for who you were, who you are, on who you will always be. We thank you for the perfect example you sent of your son to show us and display what empathy was, what grace is, and who we're supposed to follow. He was surrounded by a lot of people that weren't like him, had many struggles that he didn't necessarily struggle the same way with, and he loved them. He empathized with them. And as a matter of fact, he yearned to have a deeper relationship with them, to understand them better, and to keep pushing forward together. Unity is what you've always taught us throughout your days. And Jesus, we love you for that. And God, we thank you for sending him to show us and to be an example of any time we fall, we can always look back on those things. God, I thank you for all your blessings that you give us. On a macro level, we thank you for the nation. But Lord, we know that we have work to do with our nation. We know we have work to do here in Montgomery. And, Lord, we know we have work to do here in Landmark, but we thank you for the steps that, we've come so, that we have made so far, and we ask that you continue to give us the strength to get through them. Now, Lord, we know this is not going to be easy, and we're going to need your strength through this, but in all things we give thanks, and we know you're going to be right there with us. We just got to take that step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.